As a favorite saying of mine goes, courage is the fear that has said its prayers. All things, big and small, flow out of the purpose of God and serve His good will. And when this world appears out of control, friend, it's not, it's not. When warmongers appear to be in charge, they're not. When ecological catastrophes dominate the day, don't let them dominate you. Let's trust, let's trust our Heavenly Father. I never liked being sent to the principal's office as a kid. Then I don't like being sent to the doctor's office as a patient. But a few years back, I went in and I took a seat. I quickly noticed the doctor's abundant harvest of diplomas. They were everywhere. One degree from the university, another degree from the residency, the third degree from his wife. Just pausing to see if you caught the joke. The more I looked at his accomplishments, the better I felt. Whew, I thought, man, I'm in good hands. About the time I leaned back in the chair to relax, his nurse entered with a sheet of paper. She said, well, the doctor will be in shortly. In the meantime, he wants to ask you to acquaint yourself with this information. It summarizes your heart condition. My heart condition. <laughs> I lowered my gaze from the diplomas to the summary of the disorder. And as I read, these contrary winds began to blow. Unwelcome words like atrial fibrillation, arrhythmia, embolic stroke, and blood clot caused me to sink in my own sea of anxiety. Now, what happened to my peace? I, I, I was feeling so much better just a moment ago. So I changed strategies. I counteracted the prognosis with diplomas. And in between paragraphs of bad news, I, I looked on the wall for reminders of good news. His call to courage is not a call to naivete or, or ignorance. We aren't to be oblivious to the overwhelming challenges that life brings, but we are to counterbalance them with long looks at God's accomplishments. As the scripture tells us in the book of Hebrews, we must pay closer attention to what we have heard so that we do not drift away from it. So do whatever it takes, do whatever it takes to keep your gaze on Jesus. He has hung his diplomas in the universe. God's work is everywhere. Rainbows, sunsets, horizons, stars, sequins, skies. He has recorded his accomplishments in scripture. His resume includes Red Sea openings and lion's mouth closings and Goliath topplings and Lazarus raisings and storm stillings and strollings. His lesson is clear. He's the commander of every storm. Are you scared in yours? Well, just lift your eyes. Stare at him. Do you lack strength and courage? Look up to the Lord Almighty. He gives strength to his people. The Lord blesses his people with peace. Are you walking through a valley of shadow and death? Then gaze at the good shepherd. He will guide you to green pastures and beautiful, calm waters. Is your heart breaking? 
then look to the great physician. He heals the brokenhearted. He binds up their wounds, no matter how great the storm, how troubling the diagnosis, how feeble your faith. Just fix your focus on God. And remember, remember the wonderful things that he has done. Feed your fears and your faith will starve. Feed your faith and your fears will. Jeremiah did this. You talk about a person caught in a storm. Learn a lesson from this Old Testament prophet. Here's what he said. I am the man who has seen affliction under the rod of God's wrath. He has driven and brought me into darkness without any light. Surely against me he turns his hand again and again the whole day long. Oh boy, Jeremiah was depressed, as gloomy as a giraffe with a neck ache. Jerusalem was under siege. His nation was under duress. His world collapsed like a, like a sandcastle in a typhoon. He faulted God for his horrible emotional distress. He also blamed God for his physical ailments. He said, God has made my flesh and skin waste away and has broken my bones. So his body ached, his heart was sick, his faith was puny. He said, God has besieged me and enveloped me with bitterness and tribulation. So Jeremiah felt trapped, trapped like a man at a dead end street. He said, God has walled me about so I cannot escape. He has put heavy chains on me. Though I call and cry for help, he shuts out my prayer. He has blocked my ways with hewn stones. He has made my paths crooked. You see, Jeremiah could tell you the height of the waves and the speed of the wind, and he realized how fast he was sinking, so he did the right thing. Look, he lifted his gaze. But to this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore I will hope in him. What a phrase, but to this I call to mind. You see, depressed, Jeremiah decided to alter his thoughts. Now, did the storm cease around Jeremiah? No, but his discouragement did. You see, Jeremiah shifted his attention. He turned his eyes away from the waves and he looked into the wonder of God. And I wonder what might happen if we did the same. Now, you might be thinking, Max, this all sounds great. I'd, I'd like to believe all this is true, but, but I still have doubts. How can I be fearless when I still feel fear? How, how can I have faith when I still doubt? Well, consider the plight of the closest friends of Jesus Christ as they hid in the upper room in the days after the, the crucifixion. Jesus' followers had gathered not to change the world, but to escape it. They had buried their hopes with the carpenter's corpse. You'd have found more courage in a chicken coop, in the backbone of a jellyfish. Fearless faith, not here. And yet Jesus came to them. He paid a visit to these cowardly lions. 
Not a Superman in the sky flyover, mind you, but a face-to-face, put your hand on my wound visit. A meal is served, the Bible is taught, the disciples find courage, and we find a couple of practical answers to that critical question. What would Christ have us to do with our doubts? His answer, touch my body and ponder my story. You know, we still can. We can still touch the body of Christ. Oh, we'd love to touch his physical wounds and and feel the flesh of the Nazarene. Yet when we brush up against the church, we can touch the body of Christ. Scripture says the church is his body. It is filled by Christ who fills everything, everywhere with his presence. You know, questions, questions can make hermits out of us, driving us into hiding. Yet the cave has no answers. Jesus Christ distributes courage through community. He dissipates doubts through fellowship. He never deposits all truth into one person, but he distributes pieces of the jigsaw puzzle to many. And when you interlock your understanding with mine, when we share our discoveries with them, when we mix, converse, mingle, confess, and pray, well, Jesus speaks. He speaks to us. He speaks through us. The adhesiveness of the disciples instruct us. They stuck together. Even with ransacked hopes, they clustered in conversant community. The scripture says they kept going over all these things that had happened. This is a picture of the church, sharing notes, exchanging ideas, mulling over possibilities, lifting spirits. And as they did, Jesus showed up to teach them, proving whenever Two or three of you are together because of me. You can be sure that I'll be there. And when he speaks, Jesus shares his story. You see, God's go-to therapy for doubters is his own word. Here's what the Bible says. Faith comes from listening to the message of good news, the good news about Christ. Romans 10 and verse 17. So listen to it. Could it be this simple? Could the chasm between doubt and faith be spanned with scripture and fellowship? Well, find out for yourself. And the next time the shadows come, just immerse yourself in the ancient stories of Moses, the prayers of David, the testimonies of the gospels, the epistles of Paul. Join up with other seekers and make daily walks to Emmaus. And if a kind stranger joins you on the road with wise teaching, Well, just consider inviting him over for dinner. Life is a dangerous endeavor. We pass our days in the shadows of ominous realities. The power to annihilate humanity has, it seems, been placed in the hands of people who are happy to do so. Discussions of global attack prompted one small boy to beg, please, mother, can't we go and and find some place where there isn't any sky? If the global temperature raises a few more degrees, if the wrong candidate gets elected into office, if there's not enough social distancing, what if things only get worse? Well, Jesus tells us that they will. He predicts spiritual bailouts and ecological turmoil and worldwide persecution. Yet in the midst of it all, he he contends that bravery is still an option. Here's what he said. He said, watch out that no one deceives you. For many will come in my name claiming I am the Christ and will deceive many. 
And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars, but see to it that you're not alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginning of birth pangs. Then you will be handed over to be persecuted and put to death, and you'll be hated by all nations because of me. And at that time, many will turn away from the faith and will betray and hate each other. And many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. And because of the increase of wickedness, the, the love of most will grow cold. But he who stands firm to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached to the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. Yes, Jesus says in Matthew 24, things will get bad. They're going to get really bad before they get better. And when conditions worsen, we are wise to remember Jesus's words in verse 6. He says, see to it that you're not alarmed. In today's language, Jesus might have told his disciples, when bad stuff happens, don't freak out. Now, here's the context of this scripture. The disciples made a big to-do over the buildings of the Jerusalem temple. They were so impressed with the massive, hewn stones. Some of those stones were, were nearly 24 feet long. So the followers applauded the awesome structure with its variegated marble that resembled the waves of the sea. But Jesus, he wasn't so impressed. You see these things, he asked. I'll tell you the truth. Not one stone here will be left on another and every one will be thrown down. Imagine someone forecasting the collapse of the White House or Buckingham Palace or the Louvre. Wouldn't you want details? Well, the disciples sure did. They, they asked, now, now tell us when these things will be and what will be the sign of your coming at the end of the age? Now, Jesus didn't answer immediately, but he, he led the disciples across the Kidron Valley and up the Mount of Olives. And there, in full view of the temple and the city of David, Jesus issued a buckle your seatbelt. No kidding, life can be fatal to your health warning. He began with this. He said, now watch out that no one deceives you. Many will come in my name, claiming I am the Christ and will deceive many. Please note the twofold appearance of the word many. Many deceived and many deceivers. You see, churches are petri dishes for self-serving egomaniacs who masquerade as ministers of God, and they will do so in His name, claiming a special status, a, a superior spirituality, and they boast of insider information. They adorn their teaching with phrases like, well, God told me, or God spoke to me, or God led me, and they imply that they have access to knowledge unavailable to the common person. And along with this heresy, Jesus said, expect calamity. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars, but see to it that you're not alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. You see, nature is a, a pregnant creation, third trimester heavy. And so when a tornado rips through a city in Kansas or, or an earthquake flattens a region in, in Pakistan, there is more than barometric changes or shifts of ancient fault lines happening here. The universe is passing through the final hours before delivery and painful contractions are in the forecast and so are conflicts, wars, and rumors of wars. 
One nation invading another, one superpower defying another. Borders will always need checkpoints and war correspondents will always have employment. The population of the world will never see peace this side of heaven and Christians will suffer the most. Matthew 24, Jesus says, then you will be handed over to be persecuted and put to death. You'll be hated by all nations because of me. At that time, many will turn away from the faith and they'll betray and hate each other. And many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. And because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. These are sober words, aren't they? You see, paradise is populated with people whose deaths fulfill this prophecy. Peter, Paul, Stephen, James, Ignatius of Antioch, Polycarp, Justin Martyr, Origen. The world hated these Christ followers. Hatred still abounds. Voice of the Martyrs, a, a Christian agency that defends religious liberties, contends that more Christ followers have been killed for their faith in the last century than all previous centuries combined. The names of Paul, James, and Peter have been joined by Tashe Toles of Ethiopia, Xu Yongai of mainland China, Mehdi Debaj of Iran. The global evangelization movement reports an average of 165,000 martyrs per year, four times the same statistic of a century past. Even America, proud as she is of religious freedom, suffers from increasing anger toward Christians. Professors publicly mock Bible-believing students and talk show hosts denigrate people of faith. Will this persecution come to us? For some of you, it already has. And for many of us, it might. If we're thrown into jail for our faith, if we're deposed for our convictions, may God help you and me to remember the counsel of Christ. He says, see to it that you're not alarmed. But how? In a world full of fear, how, how do we live fearlessly? Well, Jesus equipped his followers with farsighted courage. He listed these typhoons of life, but then he pointed them to the end, to the end. Trust in ultimate victory, he said. That ultimate victory gives ultimate courage. Real courage embraces the twin realities of current difficulty and ultimate triumph. Yes, life stinks, but it won't stink forever. As one of my friends likes to say, everything will work out in the end. If it's not working out, it's not the end. Though the church is winnowed down like Gideon's army, though God's earth is buffeted by climate and, and, and bloodied by misfortune, though creation itself seems stranded on the Arctic seas, don't overreact. Don't overreact. The scripture says, be still in the presence of the Lord and wait patiently for him to act. Don't worry about the evil people who prosper or fret about their wicked schemes. Psalm 37, 7. Avoid Pollyanna optimism. We gain nothing by glossing over the brutality of human existence. This is a toxic world. But nor do we join the chicken little chorus of gloom and doom. The sky is falling. The sky is falling. Somewhere between Pollyanna and chicken little, between blind denial and blatant panic, stands the level-headed, clear-thinking, still-believing follower of Christ, wide-eyed, yet unafraid, unterrified by the terrifying, the calmest kid on the block. 
The old people of God knew this peace. Though a host encamps against me, writes the psalmist, my heart shall not fear. Though war arise against me, yet I will be confident. After the bombs of World War II ravaged downtown Warsaw, only one skeletal structure remained, the badly damaged headquarters of the British and Foreign Bible Society. And the words on its only remaining wall were clearly legible from the street. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. Folks, this is the picture of the Christian hope. Though the world may collapse, the work of Christ will endure. Amen. So see to it, see to it that you're not troubled. In this dangerous day, on this Fabergé fragile globe, with financial collapse on the news and viruses on the loose, we, we have every reason to retreat into bunkers of dread and woe. But Christ says to us, yes, he says to us, see to it, see to it that you're not alarmed or keep your head and don't panic. See to it that you're not troubled. Be faithful to the death and I will give you the crown of life. Friend, make sure the whole of your convictions can withstand the stress of collisions. Builders of the Titanic should have been so wise. The luxury liner sank because contractors settled for cheap rivets and poor planning. Rivets are the glue that hold the steel of the plates together. Facing a shortage of quality bolts, the builders used substandard ones that popped their heads upon impact with the iceberg. I ask you, how sturdy are the bolts of your belief? Reinforce them with daily Bible readings, regular worship, and earnest communion with God. As a favorite saying of mine goes, courage is the fear that has said its prayers. All things, big and small, flow out of the purpose of God and serve His good will. And when this world appears out of control, friend, it's not, it's not. When warmongers appear to be in charge, they're not. When ecological catastrophes dominate the day, don't let them dominate you. Let's trust, let's trust our Heavenly Father in the manner that Peter Worth trusted his earthly father. Peter was a 21-year-old university student when he began to experience pain in his right shoulder. He called his father for advice. Now, most students would do the same, call home for counsel, but few students would have a better parent to call in such a situation. Peter's father, Michael, a good friend of mine, is a world-renowned orthopedic surgeon who specializes in shoulders. Now, Michael initially attributed Peter's pain to weightlifting, but after numbness and tingling set in, the doctor grew suspicious of an extremely rare shoulder condition. A clot was forming in his son's shoulder, dangerously close to his heart. Michael was not only acquainted with the condition, get this, he had co-authored the paper on how to treat it. So he sent Peter to the emergency room and told him exactly what to say. He told him to request an ultrasound. And turns out Michael's long distance diagnosis was right on target. His son, Peter, was immediately admitted to the hospital where the clot was dissolved and his earthly life was extended. 
Wouldn't it be great to have such a father? Friend, we do. We do. Praise to his name. He has diagnosed the pain of the world, and he has written the book on his treatment. And we can trust him. We can trust him. Everything will work out in the end. If it's not working out, it's not the end. I'm sorry, but you simply have no choice in the matter. And there's nothing you can do to avoid it. You can't go over it, under it, or around it. In this life, you will go through storms. Jesus said it himself. In this world, you will have trouble. You'll have hardships. You'll have wars and rumors of wars and rocky relationships and not good news and depressing diagnoses and frightening failures. Storms are not an option. But our response to the storm is... When a friend of mine spent several days in the hospital at the bedside of her husband, she relied upon hymns to keep her spirit up. Every, every few minutes, she stepped into the restroom and sang verses of, Great is thy faithfulness. Do likewise. Do something. In the middle of your troubled time, stay close to God. Memorize some scripture. Read biographies of great lives. Uh, ponder testimonies of faithful Christians. Make the deliberate decision to set your hope on Jesus. Yes, the world may be full of fear, but you, yes, you, you can live a fearless life. Mm -hmm.